evening. How come nobody wants to sit over here? <laughs> Look at this over there. <laughs> Is it too warm on this side? Thank you. Thank you for sitting over here, <laughs> you beautiful people. Pastor Mark and Terry, my, I think they told you last week, they are in Texas this week. Um, just exploring to see what the Lord wants us to maybe do as a church in Texas. We don't know. Uh, pastor's going to be preaching there um, tomorrow at a small little church that our church may do something with. We're not sure. And then, of course, Mark is investigating the idea about all those people that are moving from here to Texas that need a church. So maybe there's something the Lord wants our church to do to help that happen. I'm not trying to be vague. I'm just saying we don't know. We're just following following God step at a time. So anyway, Mark and Terry are there. Please pray for them. In the meantime, <clears throat> I want you to stretch your memories a little bit. 1970s, 1980s, or Netflix if you're younger than that. Clint Eastwood made a series of movies in the 70s and 80s where he played this tough inspector, Callahan, Harry Callahan up in San Francisco. Dirty Harry was his nickname. If you remember, in one of the movies, he, he, his enemy was this corrupt police lieutenant who happened to be named Lieutenant Briggs. My name, my name is Dave Briggs, but no relation <laughs> to, the, to the... But at the end of the movie, this corrupt bad guy thinks he's got the best of Dirty Harry, and the bad guy is making his getaway. The bad guy gets blown up in his own car with his own bomb. And... The camera pushes in on a close-up of Dirty Harry watching this happen, and the slightest little smile comes on Dirty Harry's normally scowly face. And on the close-up, Dirty Harry says one of the, his most famous lines, maybe you remember. He says, a man's got to know his limitations. A man's got to know his limitations. We all have limitations. Even the best of us, we all have boundaries to our talent, to our experience, to our energy. But we're going to read today in God's Word that God tells us we can live lives that are unlimited. Absolutely unlimited. What does it mean to have an unlimited life? Paul is going to tell us in the absolutely magnificent section of Scripture we have today. But first, let's pray together. Father, we come before you on a gorgeous Sunday, Saturday evening, summertime. Love it. Thank you. Father, for everyone here, thank you that we get to open your word and you, this is your time to speak to us now. And we pray you would just clear out all the other distractions that are probably going on in our heads right now, all the other things we're thinking about. And Father, we want to hear from you. We want you to be our teacher. This passage of scripture is so important that we don't want to just hear from me. We want to hear from you. Please, we'd like your Holy Spirit. We ask your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to to see you and understand things we've never seen before. So will you leave changed by the power of your word? We ask this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Last week, Pastor Mark gave us a wonderful homework assignment. I wonder how many of you did it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you did it or not, but here was the homework assignment, if you remember. He asked us to come to God. He asked us this week to come before God and, and say to the Lord, what grace, what gift have you given to me, Lord, that you want me to steward, that you want me to use for you? We all have limitations, just like Dirty Harry said. But we don't have to worry about our limitations when we do the work 
that God has called us to do. Do you remember what Pastor Mark taught us about our limitations? I wrote it down. This is what he said. I'll read it to you again. This is his quote, not mine. It's too good to be mine. He said, the gift that God graces you with, the gift that God graces you with is fueled by the power that God will possess you with. Remember that? The gift that God graces you with is fueled by the power that God will possess you with. Whatever God calls you to do, whatever it is, God's going to give you his power to do it. That's awesome. Paul considered himself to be the very least of all the saints. That was in verse 8 of chapter 3. Yet God used the very least of all the saints to be the greatest missionary of all time. And one of the authors of most of the New Testament, or much of the New Testament. Pastor Mark also showed us last week that whatever we feel the Lord calling us to do, if you feel the Lord calling you to do something, don't sit back and make excuses about all the reasons why you're not worthy. Just make yourself available to him, and he will lead, lead you, he will lead me, and he will empower us. So that's a very quick, very brief overview of a wonderful message that Pastor talk, taught last week on the first part of Ephesians 3. We're gonna, here's the outline uh, for the, the rest of the chapter. We're going to finish chapter 3 today. We're going to see in verses 14 to 19 Paul's absolutely stunning prayer. Short but sweet. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for you to see it. And then, of course... Verse 20 to 21, Paul's glorious doxology. So let's open our Bibles to that passage. Uh, do, you, do you feel a tingle of anticipation when you open your Bible, even if it's a tablet or on your phone? You know, sometimes maybe we forget what we're doing when we open this book. When we open this book, we are confronted with the mind and heart of the living God. He has something amazing to tell you today. What does he want to tell you? Let's find out. Let's read Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derive its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul begins with some familiar words in verse 14, for this reason. I think we've seen in Ephesians that Paul uses that phrase, for this reason, often. This time he's referring to what he said earlier in chapter 3. He's talking about the grace that he was given to preach Christ, the unfathomable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Paul is referring to the fact that there's no longer any separation between Jew and Gentile. Remember, Pastor covered that last week. And also that we all have full access to God. Do you remember Pastor Mark made the interesting observation that we can't get access to all the people we'd like to talk to. You know, we probably can't talk to the mayor. We probably can't get to our favorite pro athlete or maybe a celebrity, but each one of us can have bold, confident access. One-on-one, -on -one, anytime, anywhere with Almighty God through Christ. Everyone who trusts in Christ is adopted into God's family. 
as his son and his daughter. To be in God's family means we're all on a mission. Our mission is to love God with all our hearts and to love each other like Jesus loves us. I need to stop here and share a personal note. And I don't have the words to say this. I can't thank you enough for the love you've poured out on our family. As many of you know, uh, my mom, Jean Seacrest, Jean Briggs Seacrest, who used to greet at the door here, passed away. On, uh, she went home to be with the Lord on uh, July 19th. We had a celebration service for her August 1st. Your, um, your prayers, oh my gosh, your texts, your notes, your postings, the food you brought, coming, those who came, those who served, those who sent flowers, those who did, just, just that loved her, loved our family so much. I don't have words other than to say, like Paul, I feel like bowing my knees before God because of you. You made us feel like such a family. This is a, such a loving family. Thank you. Thank you. That's too small of a word, but thank you. Verse 14. Notice Paul wrote, I bow my knees. Paul could have said, I bend my knees. A bend is just a little, I'll, I'll bend mine for you. Bend is just a little courteous little dip of recognition to an authority figure like you do to a king. But Paul bowed his knees. Bowing is a posture of wholehearted gratitude and complete submission to the Lord. We are physical beings. Our spirits live in these physical bodies that we walk around with. Posture affects how we pray. In Paul's day, most people, when they were going to pray, stood up and raised their hands to pray. For us, sometimes, we just need to kneel before the Lord, even if our old creaking knees are going to protest. We just need to kneel. Let's turn together to Psalm 95, please. Psalm 95, we're going to read the first six verses. <clears throat> this passage is amazing. It shows us what it means to have bowed knees and bowed hearts before the Lord. While you're turning there, think about this with me. Sometimes, maybe we worry that we're not very eloquent when we pray. You ever worry about that? Oh, I don't want to pray out loud or I'm not very eloquent when I pray. I think we worry too much about our words. Wonderful, effective prayers can be silent prayers. Wonderful, effective prayers can be full of stammers and stutters and wrong grammar because God listens to our hearts, not our words. If we want to pray effectively, we need to be reading our Bibles so we're on the same page with God. One theologian said it this way. He said, you have your Bible and you have your knees. Use them. I like that. You have your Bible, you have your knees. Use them. So let's, let's use our Bible right now to read the first six verses of Psalm 95 together. Listen to the heart of the psalmist and ask yourself, do these words we're about to read, do they reflect your heart when you pray? Look at this. Verse, Psalm 95, verses 1 to 6. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with songs. For the Lord is a great God and a king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Wow. Wow. The next time you pray, not while you're driving, 
But the next time you pray, kneel before the Lord. Get on your knees, even if it hurts. Get on your knees. Bring Psalm 95 with you. Read it to the Lord. See if you do not pray differently when, you're, when you bow your knees and your heart before our great God, our maker, the maker of all things. Isn't that an amazing psalm? Back to Ephesians 3. Let's look at verses 14 to 15. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. Our Heavenly Father is the Father of Jesus. He's the Father of all the angels. And he's the Father of all the souls of mankind, past, present, and future. Here Paul is echoing the same words we just read in Psalm 95. He is praying to the Father of all, the God of all, the Creator of all. Let me read again and go into verse 16. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives this name, and here's the prayer, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. You know, most of Paul's prayers were not for physical needs. Mostly, all the time, he prayed for the spiritual welfare of others. We need to remember to do that. It's great to pray for each other's physical needs. We need to remember to pray for each other's spiritual needs. Look at the language of verse 16. I've been trying to think of an adjective. All I can come up with is stunning, but there's probably a better one. <clears throat> Paul prays for God to give us strength and power according to the riches of his glory. You know what? This is how God answers our prayers. God answers our prayers not, not from limited capacity. God does not answer our prayers while supplies last. God answers our prayers from his inexhaustible storehouse, overflowing with his never-ending riches. All glory belongs to God. He gives to us according to his unlimited heart not according to the narrowness of our hearts. God makes the undoable doable. God makes the impossible possible because when God answers according to his riches, there are no limits. There's no limit. When you were little, did your parents give you an allowance? As God's sons and daughters, you know, he gives us an allowance too. What's our allowance? Well, it's good news. He gives to us not from a limited budget, but according to his unlimited riches. I see a lot of you smiling. These are good verses to smile at. It's okay to smile. This is really good. You have nothing but good news coming today. Okay, how do we receive his strength, his power, his riches? Verse 16, let's look at the rest of it. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit. God empowers us through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Where does his power go? Into our muscles, if we had some? Look at the rest of verse 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. What's the inner man? Our inner man, even if we're a woman, is our inner self. It's our soul. It's our spirit. It's the real you. It's the real me. For the unbeliever, the inner person and the outer person is pretty much the same. Both are controlled by things of this world. But for the believer, our inner self, our spirit, is quite different from our flesh, from our outer selves. Our inner self has been reborn. 
We are brand new in Christ. Our inner self seeks the things of God, not the things of this world. Do you want some really good news? Let's have 2 Corinthians on the screen. Read this with me. You want some great news? This is, this is about as good as it gets. Okay. See this? Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Thank you, Lord, for that. Unlike our physical bodies that uh, are decaying, our inner self just keeps getting better and better with age. Isn't that nice? We get better with age? I'm savoring that. <laughs> you know, our soul, our spirit, our inner person is every bit as real as our outer person. Yet we tend to spend more time caring for our bodies than our souls. That's why many believers have strong bodies but weak spirits. You know, in America, when we sit down, to a meal, we say, dig in. When I was in Australia, I like it. In Australia, they tell you to tuck in. I like that, tuck in. So we need to dig in. We need to tuck in to God's word. We need to feast on his word and make it part of our daily diet. If we don't, we're going to live with undernourished, very limited spiritual lives. On the other hand, there's no limit. There's no limit to what God can do when we feast on his word with the desire to obey his word. No limit whatsoever. Okay, let's read on. I'm going to start at verse 14 again, then we're going to get into 17. For this reason, Paul writes, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And it just keeps on getting better. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Stop there. Two Greek words that mean to dwell. There are two different Greek words that mean to dwell. One means, it has the idea of living somewhere temporarily. Like if we go to a hotel. When you go to a hotel, you don't show up with a moving van. You just bring enough luggage. Some of us bring too much luggage. But the idea is we just bring enough to get through our time and then we check out and we go. The other word for dwell is the word that Paul uses here. And it means to settle down permanently. When Jesus dwells in our hearts, he takes a permanent residence. Permanent residence. When Jesus moves into our hearts, he finds a pretty big mess. He confronts our human nature that is not a good housekeeper. We store lots of worthless, ugly, and stinky stuff in our hearts. The Lord has to clean house. It's our nature to resist his house cleaning. We say to Jesus, Jesus, go ahead and clean up the kitchen and tidy up the attic, but stay out of my room. And for heaven's sake, stay out of my closet. And also, Jesus, by the way, uh, it's okay to be around when my church friends come over, but make yourself scarce when others come over to visit. C.S. Lewis said it this way. It's one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. It's going to be up on the screen. I want to read it to you. It's just so awesome. C.S. Lewis said, imagine yourself as a living house. Imagine you're a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, 
He starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? That's kind of why it hurts sometimes when he's in there cleaning house. How does Jesus enter our hearts? By force? By faith. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Jesus waits for us to invite him in. Into our hearts by faith. Faith means that we trust in Jesus and we continue. We continue day by day to surrender our messy hearts to him. Every day. Surrender those messy hearts to him. Look at the rest of verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love. When you see the word rooted, I want you to picture the biggest tree you've ever seen with roots that go down so far that tree cannot be moved no matter what. And when you see grounded, picture some magnificent building standing rock solid on its foundation. Our root, our foundation, Paul tells us, is love. Love for the Lord and love for each other. We cannot experience the fullness of God, the full love of God for us without having genuine spirit-empowered love for others. Would you like to see something absolutely amazing about God's love? Of course you do. That's why you're here. Let's keep reading. We're going to look at eight, eight, verse 18, but I'm going to start at 17 and go to 19 because I want the whole picture. This is amazing. And so the, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, here it is, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. As believers, we get to explore every dimension of God's love. As believers, we get to explore every dimension of God's love. That's verse 18. Then verse 19 tells us it's a love so vast we'll never reach its limits as God pours himself into our lives. Verse 18 boldly declares that God's love is real. It has dimensions. It's real. His love has breadth and length and height and depth. Let's look more little more closely, just for a moment, at those four measurements. His love has breadth, has width. Like an ocean. It's like an ocean, God's love. We can measure God's love by how much it covers. His love is so wide that it covers all of our sins. Past, present, future. His love is so wide that it also covers every circumstance of our life so that all things work together for good. The more we grow in our faith, the more his love and his power and blessing flows into our lives. But the reverse is also true. Our lack of faith restricts the flow. It's a little like a kink in the hose. You ever get a kink in your hose when you're out there? It's usually when you're trying to get something done and then all of a sudden you have a kink and the water flow just stops or dribbles. Our lack of faith puts a kink in the flow of God's love and power 
and blessing into our lives. Remember, Jesus often rebuked his disciples by saying, ye of little faith, when they doubted him. God's love has breadth. God's love has length. How long? How long is God's love? How long will he love us? This is awesome. Jeremiah 31.3. We're not going to turn there, but here's the reference for you to look up later, but I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You know, in marriage ceremonies, we promise our mates that we're going to love until death do us part. God promises us much more than that. God promises the length of his love is everlasting. It will never end. Not only, not only does his love never end, it has also always existed. Turn back a few pages to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Try to get your mind around this. This is a little bit of a mind twister, but it's fun. Ephesians 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. God loved us before the world was created. God loved us before we were created. Wow, that's eternity past. God's love for us is so long that it has no beginning and no end. Try to think about that for a little while. God's love has breadth, it has length, it has height. How high does his love go? Okay, you're in Ephesians 1, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6 and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's how high God's love is. It takes us up to heaven. His love lifts us from the lowest low to the highest high. God's love has width, it has length, it has height, and it's got depth. How deep is his love? Let's turn here in Ephesians. Go to the next book to the right, Philippians. Let's turn to Philippians 2, 5 to 8. I hope you're having fun with this. This is amazing. This is the love of God. We're, getting, we're taking God measurements. You know, it's like you get a yardstick out or a ruler or one of those things, those, what do you call those things that, I should never talk about building anything. <laughs> yeah, tape measure, that's it, thank you. <clears throat> Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Let's see the depths of God's love for us. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Lord proved the depth of his love by emptying himself and dying on the cross to save you, to save me. The cross, the cross is where we can best see all the dimensions of God's love on the cross. His love is wide enough to include every person that wants it. His love is long enough to have no beginning and no end. His love is high enough to take us to heaven. His love is deep enough to reach even the worst sinner. Let's get back to Ephesians 3, 
we're going to get to verse 19, but I've got to read into it again for context, 17 to 19. It's all one glorious thought. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may filled up, be filled up to all the fullness of God. Verse 19 raises a question, maybe in your mind. How can we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? How can we know something that is unknowable? The grammatical tense that Paul uses for the Greek word know means to continually gain knowledge over time. Continually know continually gain knowledge over time. The full love of Christ surpasses human understanding. It's too big. It's too much for our brains to fathom. But we can understand. We can know. We can experience new aspects, new dimensions of his love day by day, sometimes minute by minute, circumstance by circumstance. The life of the believer, your life, my life, is meant to be a never-ending treasure hunt. That's what our life is meant to be. The treasure hunt where the Lord finds the most unimaginable, uh, just crazy way, wild ways to show us and reveal his riches of his love. You know, the more we learn about his love, the more we become filled up. Not with ourselves, but with all the fullness of God. Being filled with the fullness of God means we're filled with his love and grace. We're filled with the righteousness of Christ. We're filled with the fruit of the Spirit. We're filled with His Word as food for our soul. We're filled with a growing knowledge of His divine things and divine plan. The goal of the Christian life is to be filled to all the fullness of God. In other words, to be like Christ. That's our goal. Each one of us can be God-filled, can be Spirit-filled. The more we fill ourselves with the Lord, the less room we have for our own selfish nature. That's the good part. That's the good part. Paul sure packs a lot into a short prayer, doesn't he? Did you learn something amazing today about the Lord by looking at this short prayer? I sure did. This is one of the great blessings of faithful prayer. It expands our view of God. Prayer expands our view of God. It's like Taking a glass elevator. Have you ever ridden a glass elevator to the top of a really tall building? The higher you go, just the more that panorama, the more epic your view becomes. Prayer is like that. The higher we go, the wider our view of God becomes. But our panoramic view of the Lord in prayer, not only does it take our breath away, but even more so, it, we realize the more we see, the more of God that we can't see. He just keeps going. The higher we go, the more of him there is that we'll never explore the bounty. Some people say that we will be in heaven for all eternity because that's how long it's going to take us to find the end of his love. We'll never get there. This is the sense of awe that Paul felt when he wrote the glorious doxology that we come to now. First, the last two verses give us Paul's crescendo of joyful thanksgiving and overwhelming confidence in the Lord. Do you and I go through life with joyful thanksgiving and overwhelming confidence in God? Do we really and truly expect big things from a big God? Do we expect unlimited things from an unlimited God? 
Paul's doxology not only belongs to the prayer we just read in verses 14 to 19, but also to everything Paul has said in the first three chapters. So we're going to read it now. Verse 20, 21. I'm going to read it slowly because I want to savor it. And this also happens to be one of my very favorite places in all the scripture. So I'm just going to read it slow. You can read it faster if you want. But this needs... Now, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Look at verse 20. Let's take it one, a few words at a time. Verse 20 is so amazing. First word Paul uses is now. Paul uses this word to our, draw our attention to something he's about to say. Paul is saying, listen up. This is very important. Don't miss it. Now, to him, this introduces the subject of Paul's vital information. Paul is going to tell us something we must know about God. Now, to him, who? Who is a relative pronoun. That means we're about to find out what kind of God the Lord is. Now, to him who is able. God is a can-do God. He is able. Well, what can God do? Here's the rest. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. No human language is powerful enough to accurately describe God. Do you see what's going on here? Paul and the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, ran out of words to describe God. Can't be done. So Paul invented his own phrase to try to explain the unexplainable. A more literal translation of Paul's words would be this. God is able to do things super abundantly above the greatest abundance. God is able to do things, all things, super abundantly above the greatest abundance. That's our God. God's ability to bless us exceeds all measurements, all expectations, and all descriptions. Whatever words we use to talk about God, whatever thoughts we have about God, are way too small. Do you see what God has just told us about himself? We can have great imaginations. We can think big, big thoughts about God. We can pray really big prayers and not even scratch the surface. Not even scratch the surface of what God can do. Wow. This is the Lord we have bold and confident access to come before. Whatever we're worried about today, why don't we stop doubting the Lord? Let's try that this week. Let's stop putting a kink in that hose. Let's joyfully, let's confidently get on our knees before him who is able to do not only all that we ask or think, but abundantly beyond far more than we ask or think. There's nothing for us to worry about. An important note I want to make here is that Paul is not preaching. Paul is not preaching what some people call the prosperity gospel. False teachers twist passages of scripture like this one to incorrectly conclu uh, conclude that God promises to bless us with material things if we have enough faith. 
False teachers say, if you want to be rich, like me, off of your money, they don't say that part, but if you want to be rich, you just need to name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it, right? God can indeed bless us with material things. He does it all the time. But the riches of God that Paul is proclaiming are worth far more than all the wealth in the world. You know, people, people that only pray for material things, they often complain. They complain that their wish list or their greed list or their prayer list far surpasses the answers to prayer they're getting. But we who seek the riches of God can testify so honestly, so sincerely that God blesses us way beyond our dreams all the time. God blesses us with things no amount of money can buy. Things like indescribable peace, unexpected strength, unexpected strength, unexplainable joy in any circumstance. The only true measure of God's power is God himself. And look where God's power is on display. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power, where? That works within us. Oh my gosh. God's power fills heaven, fills the universe. But God does his greatest work within us. God does his greatest work, his greatest show of power is in the heart of the believer. Your heart. My heart. Oh, I hate to do it, but let's finish the passage. Verse 20, into 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The only fitting response to God is to give him glory. Not just in our hearts, but in the church with believers all over the world. You know, glorious praise should radiate wherever God's redeemed gathers. We are his redeemed. Because of Jesus, we are the sons and daughters of God. Our family, the church, is called to glorify the Lord in all that we do. For all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's maybe challenging for you, for me, to read scripture like our passage today and realize there could be quite a gap, quite a gap between the unlimited life God is offering and maybe the life we're living. In our hearts, in our inner selves, we want, we want to be like Christ. We want to be filled with the fullness of God. We want to live unlimited lives for Christ. But in our flesh, we have those limitations that Clint Eastwood told us about. We question the Lord. We doubt his word. So we resist what he wants to do in our lives. You know what, though? If you have put your faith in Jesus, then the Lord Jesus himself dwells permanently in your heart. That's a reason to be encouraged. And God is in the process of doing something so wonderful in our lives, we should all wear a pen that says, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. You seen those pens? Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. That's for me to be patient with myself and for us to be patient with each other. God is in the process of filling us with himself. God is in the process of teaching us what it means to have unlimited lives. God is in the process of making us like Christ.
So, you know the pain you feel and I feel when we fail the Lord? That pain you feel when you fail? Just like the joy you feel when you have victory, both are evidence, both are proof that God is working in your life. We need to be patient. God has a lot of work to do with each one of us. But praise the Lord, because God always finishes his work to perfection. Our prayer team will be here to pray with you after the service. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, wow, I don't even know what to say after reading your word here, this amazing passage. But we bow before you, Father, realizing I think maybe we focus too much on our failures and not enough on the victory we have in Christ. Thank you, dear Lord, for not giving up on us, even though sometimes we may feel like giving up on ourselves. Thank you for your unlimited love, your unlimited riches in Jesus. Father, please strengthen us with your power through your spirit. Dwell in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Allow us to discover day by day more about the breadth, length, and height, and depth of your love. Fill us up to all the fullness of God. Make us everything you created us to be. And now to you, Lord, to you who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to you, to you alone, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.